Hello, and welcome to the second episode of 100 People to Know in Cleveland, where I will try to connect with 100 amazing, spectacular Clevelanders who make Cleveland the amazing place that it is. My name is Elliot Stone, and I am your host, and joining me today is Mayor John Barbish. John, thank you very, very much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Elliot. Very excited to be famous enough to be interviewed, right? (laughs) No, John, honestly, thank you. Uh, It's my pleasure. You are an incredibly busy man. Uh, For those of you that don't know, John is the mayor of Wycliffe. He is also a small business owner, uh, and he is very involved with the community. John, you belong to both Chambers of Commerce in Lake County. You belong to BNI, Business Networking International. Um, You're also a family man and an avid reader. And how do you do this? How do you manage to juggle all those things at once and keep on track with everything? You know, it's from an outside view because I get asked that question a lot. And everyone says, how do you do all this? All these things. I have four kids as well. I like to guard. Really, it it boils down to structure and using my calendar meticulously. So when I've got things scheduled, you know, I'm very routine in some ways where it's I do the same things on Monday, same things on Tuesday, same things on Wednesday. And so over the past probably two years, I've really built out my schedule to what do I need to do when? Is it for 15 minutes? Is it for an hour? Is it once a week? Is it once a month? And then you build in that routine. And then what that really does is it's not just focusing your time when you're in that task. Your mind's clear when you're not in that task because you know it's on the calendar for next week or next month. So really just, yeah, I mean, scheduling. And if it's not in the calendar, it doesn't happen. Oh, that must really take up like a lot of energy or effort or mental space or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but let's move on a little bit here, John. And um, you, when you decided to run for mayor, you were pretty young or at least relatively young to be doing something like that. And uh, I, I don't know, I guess, were you in office before that? Uh, were you doing anything political? Like what happened? What made you decide to run? Did you just wake up one day and think, uh, well, John Mayer's, John Barbish is going to run for mayor? I started probably... At this point, maybe seven years ago, and I think it started as a joke. I don't know how it came up, but I go, yeah, I'll run for mayor someday, or something happened with a city ordinance maybe, and I go, I could I could do this. And <laughs> as time went on, I would say that more often, and I got involved in the Chamber of Commerce, and then once my kids got involved, once my older two, who are now 11 and 9, got in the school system and I was just involved there. And then I got on the board of the Chamber of Commerce. I really started to see, at one, I was exposed to other mayors. I never saw the Wycliffe mayor. And I just got it in my head like, hey, I see these other mayors at networking events. I talk to them. I go, if they they could do it, I could do it. And then, you know, once I get something in my mind, I'm like, I can't not do it, you know. So I just said, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run for mayor. See what happens. I mean, literally, the only I had no government experience before. I was chairman of the okay. board of the chamber of commerce, which I mean, it's a volunteer position. It you know maybe five hours a week, nothing. But again, I, I had a good, you know, I can see patterns. And we talked about reading. I enjoy reading. Um, you know, anything on psychology, human nature, economics, just the how things how things work, okay. like what people really don't see on the surface. 
and always been good at solving problems and making difficult decisions and being okay with making decisions, right? Not getting paralyzed by that fear of what might happen. And I just said it was a pivotal time for the city with economic development. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to run for it. And I think I was, how old am I now? 30, I'm going to be 37 in a couple days here. So I was 34. I think I just, I was 33 when I was running, just about to turn 34 when I started. So yeah, and when I was, it was crazy because I was, there was a lot of people in the city. Again, a lot of people our age were like, yeah, John, this is awesome. You know, we need some young people in here. But people our parents' age were like, who the hell is this kid? What does he think he's doing running for mayor? You've never been a council person. You can't just run for mayor. And a lot of that was like, oh, watch me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whenever there's, you know, I, I always enjoy a good challenge with that too. So it just really had to bust my butt and um, I made it happen. I, I the ran against the guy who was running against me. He was the current council president at that point. He was in his 60s. I was in my 30s. Very stark difference in our campaigning, in our message. But again, being a pivotal time, it yeah. You know, thankfully, I won, and um, I'm now in my in my fourth year. Just started my fourth year. So, would you say that maybe that was one of your biggest challenges? Uh, it was it was your age, or or maybe was there something else? Like challenging in terms of the campaign, or just the whole like the yeah. whole event, like how like it was definitely yeah. Well, it was it was definitely a challenge. I mean, again, for the older demographic. Um, but there was also, it was so being so young again, I was, I, I was, you know, going into the schools, volunteering and doing all these things with the chamber. So I had so much exposure with our generation, you know, and maybe like, you know, millennials and gen X, um, again, there was some difficulties with the older generation. Um, but I think more so it played in my favor, just having more energy too, you know? And again, a lot of people yeah. didn't know me. I just came out of the woodwork for some of the people in the city. I wasn't really involved in the city before. Wow, sounds like uh, maybe you do put a lot of that. I don't know. That must have taken a lot to overcome and to get through. And uh, at some point, that would be great to do more about that and talk more about that for anyone who is looking to run. Uh, but John, you you are an avid reader. So, what is one book that you would recommend? Uh, or that you would gift to someone maybe uh, who was looking to start a business or just uh, be more financially aware, things like that? I would say, and as I'm talking, I'm going to grab, I just got five more copies <laughs> of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich because I, I give those out. I'm actually going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to grab the box right here and, open, and show yeah, you Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so literally this just came yesterday and I just ordered... They're, they're like eight. There's like eight dollars, and I started giving away books last year. Um, just if I'm talking to somebody, you know, friends, oh, okay. clients. So again, this is Napoleon Hill's. It might be backwards on my screen, but Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. So for anybody who doesn't know, you know, okay. Napoleon well, Hill, he he wrote that on like 1903, 1913, and he essentially studied from. Well, okay. Andrew Carnegie, the steel tycoon. Um, I mean, Henry Ford, all the greats of that time. And really, you know, back then figured out, you know, what's the what's the, the master key to riches? What do you have to do to 
go from poverty to the richest men and women in America. And he spent like 20 years, you know, Andrew Carnegie, I think, paid him just to go hang out with all of these people and figure out these secrets. And then he wrote all these books and made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And even 100 years later, it's still so relevant. Again, I just got five more copies to give out to people. Um, but it really helps. It helps give you a map of what do you want to accomplish? How are you going to accomplish it? And just having the mental, the mental focus that you talked about being focused earlier. You know, a lot of people I see they make the mis like the mistake of making very vague goals, saying, "I want to be wealthy. I want to have a big house. I want to retire early." When you say things like that, it's not going to happen, right? Because what is wealthy? You know, what is retiring early? Is that at 62, 52? What's wealthy? Million dollars? Ten million dollars? You know, it's very dangerous to set. Uh, vague goals because it doesn't happen. So in the in the book, they talk about, you know, your ultimate desires, your white hot burning desire. What is that? You've got to write it down. And also with that, so I've got a couple goals of, you know, income goals at certain ages. I think I've told you I'm going to buy a commercial property before my 39th birthday. So I've got just a hair over two years. But again, that's specific. Like I'm going to buy a building in Wycliffe, preferably on Euclid Avenue before my 39th birthday. And even last year, I made an offer on a building. It didn't go through, but it's like I'm looking at, like I'm actively working towards that because I it's written down and I know what it is. Um, but then in that, you, you not only have yeah, all your I, list you know, of your ultimate yeah. desires, then you write down what are you going to give in order to receive the above, right? And for me, that was, it's when I was, I, started, I probably wrote that out like five years ago. And it was, you know, having a strong safe, clean community that's financially stable, you know, giving back money, um, providing for more children, not even just my own. So whether that's donating money to the school book fair, there are a couple specific organizations in the city, the Literacy Cooperative um, started making donations there. So again, very specific things. So it's not just, hey, I want to help people. It's I want to help, you know, improve literacy for my children's generation, you know, extremely specific. And then you set out, he said in the book, you don't set out after your goals, you set out doing number two. And for me, that was like, all right, I've got to run for mayor and make sure this stuff happens. And yeah, it's on my dresser. I look at it every day and it's it's crystal clear. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's, that's really amazing, John. I actually didn't realize there was so much behind everything that you have been doing the last five plus years or so, it sounds like. Yep. So, John, you own uh, Barbish Financial Group, and I guess my question to you is, what came first? Your ability to think methodically as you do, or did you start financial planning and then gain those abilities and those skills? So, kind of, I guess, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. Yeah, I I always had a somewhat of a knack for finance and just... Uh, a thirst for knowledge, I guess you can call it. I um, So going back, way back, my uncle, my father's brother, would give us um, a check for Texaco stock every year for Christmas, $200 for Texaco, who's now Chevron. And okay. I would literally be 11, 12 years old. I would check the newspaper every day to see if Texaco was up or down. 
And then, and I had a paper out then, so I was working when I was 11 and 12. And then when I was 14, I rode my bike to the bank to try and start an IRA. And they did not give me any help. They essentially turned me away for whatever reason. Some money, but enough for them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, then fast forward a little bit, working some. I never, I never imagined myself working in an office. So I always strayed away from the. I always liked working with my hands and physical work. So worked a lot of odd jobs and did some sales and lawn care and bartending while I was taking classes at Lakeland. And then, you know, got to the point where we're having our first child had to make some changes and figured, you know what, I'm going to try finding a job at a bank or finding a job at an insurance company. And I was applying at the Progressives, State Farms, different banks. I had, I had no finance experience. MetLife was hiring and they were out in Broadview Heights. They were hiring literally anybody. Um, and I said, you know what, what, what was it? They called me, the, the, you know, the lady who was in charge of recruiting called me and said, we help people solve financial problems. And that just intrigued me. And I drove out there for like an open house and said, yep, I'm going to give this a go. And got my securities license, my insurance licenses and worked there for five and a half years as a captive agent. So I was employed by MetLife, W2 had benefits with them, but also had to sell their products primarily. Worked with some great people who were in the business 20, 30 years. So that's like an apprenticeship, a residency, whatever you want to call it. But then it got to the point to where I was, my office is in Broadview Heights. I was little kids in the schools, Chamber of Commerce in Willoughby. And I was, it didn't make sense. And again, I was wanted to work with more business owners, entrepreneurs, and then I couldn't keep coming back showing them one company's product. Um, I was unhappy where I was at, and I didn't know if it was the business. I didn't know if it was MetLife. So I said, you know what? I had an opportunity to join another small independent firm in located in Independence, but I didn't need to have an office there. So I I made the jump. Probably the scariest thing I ever did is I signed a lease for my office on a Wednesday, knowing that I was going to resign on that Friday two days later. So I still remember like sitting in this office you know, sweating profusely, like, what the hell did I just do, knowing that I'm going to resign in two days, uh, but never looked back. I mean, that's, that's been six, almost seven years now, wow. and it really took off, because then I was a business owner. I wasn't just a financial advisor working at a big office, you know, I was working for myself. I had to take care of everything, self-generate yeah. all my activity, you know, where MetLife provided leads. So really, I spent a lot of time there, very thankful for that, but it reached the point where I needed to move on. And then, you know, just really surrounded myself with more business-minded individuals that, again, got me turned on to the Think and Grow Rich and the discipline. And a lot of that was just from reading okay. and listening to audiobooks and podcasts. And just if I heard a successful person saying, hey, I read this book and it helped me. I would go, I just buy the book and read it and find what I could. And again, you know, I'm not trying to recreate the wheel here. Again, well, Napoleon Hill did this a hundred years ago. It worked back then. It works now, you know? So yeah, very thankful for that time in MetLife. Wow. Um, that's, that's really amazing. So John, you really kind of did this on your own and you jumped out and did this on your own. But what is one piece of advice that you would have given yourself at that time when you were doing that, when you were finishing MetLife and then starting this 
um, or something? What's one piece of advice that you would give yourself maybe five, ten years ago? You know, it's in thinking about, you know, the, the young attorney that I'm working with now that just sort of did the same thing. You know, again, we all have that that desire, whatever you want to call it, in the back of our minds. Like, well, hey, what if I did this? What if I did that? And it's scary. A lot of times it is. It's scary to make that jump, to leave your job, to leave a firm where you you think you're secure, even though you're really not. You think you're secure. Even like I, I thought I was, I could have said, well, I've got health benefits at MetLife, or well, they give me leads. Didn't matter. I still wasn't secure. I wasn't making enough money because the contracts driving to broad. So again, as I had to take a leap of faith and really, I mean, you've got to believe in yourself. And if you, if you've got something in your mind that keeps coming back to you, you know, if you're working at a job and you find yourself dreading getting out of bed, I mean, you just need to make a change. And sometimes for some people, and again, it's hard to do because on the financial side, they usually don't have a lot of money in savings. You know, you just need to quit your job. And that's going to obviously light a fire under your ass to figure something out, yeah. you know. But if you just say, "Oh, well, I'll wait till I have time," that's that's not going to happen. It's never going to be the right time for it. It's never going to be perfect. I don't care if the market's up, the market's down, the economy's up, the economy's down. None of that matters. You've got to you know believe in yourself, and then just again take a leap of faith. And I always say too, like, let's say if I would have left MetLife and failed miserably, I could have went and found a job, you know, but I never would have known. I didn't want to, I didn't want to look back and be an old man at MetLife going, oh, what would have happened if I would have left? Because I saw people in that situation, you know, so always think about the possible regrets that you'll have by not knowing and then just take a leap of faith and move forward confidently. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that actually. So about I started well, let's let's go back. I I got my realtor license when I was doing my masters to have something to work at part-time. Um but then after my masters, I took a very cushy six-figure plus job uh doing international sales. And I mean, it was a lot of work and but it was still it was still cushy, you know. And uh but after that, I just about a year into it, I realized that this is not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be there just selling this product to other people. I wanted to do something more and do something else and be my own boss. And uh, so I that's when I, I decided to leave it and, and do real estate full time. And it, it was still a leap of faith at that time. And um, I mean, it's really paid off. I, I really enjoy what I do. And it's, it's not easy. And it's not easy um, taking that jump. But it it is what it is, and if I can do it, I mean anybody else can do it. But no, that's really that's really great advice there, John. Thanks. But um, yeah. Anyway, uh, John, we're gonna be wrapping up here in not too too long. But there's two more things I want to touch on, and the first one is that John, you are an avid gardener, and it seems like you grow a lot of things actually, maybe in your backyard. So what are your what are your favorite things to grow? Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Ooh, carrots probably. Yeah, carrots are. Carrots and beets, and I was like, root root crops are the easiest to grow because you really I mean you don't have to. One, there's no trellises. You don't have to tie anything up. I mean, you got to pull weeds around it, but like tomato plants, you've got to stake them up. You got to tie them. Um, you always got to do something to the tomato plants. Sometimes the tomatoes get too big. You got to support them. 
you know, carrots and beets are, they dehydrate well, very easily. They're very nutrient dense and you can grow a lot of them and it just doesn't take a lot of time. So out of all the things we grow, yeah, definitely carrots and beets are, um, and just literally, so I took nice. them out of the basement. I've got like, so I went a little crazy in March and bought a dehydrator, you know, with the pandemic and just started like, Hey, I'm stockpiling food <laughs> again. Like when I say I'm going to do something, like I just get laser focused and sometimes my toes in the water. I just dive in. Um, so I started dehydrating, you know, what we were growing. And then also, you know, we'd go to Sweetberry around the corner here and get, you know, five bunches of bananas and dehydrate those. So I was eating some carrots for lunch yesterday that I harvested, you know, six months ago in my garden. We just rehydrated them and it was, it was amazing. Gardening, it's really a great stress reliever. Yeah. When you're doing a lot of difficult things and making a lot of decisions and you know talking all day staring at a screen like we are that's that's my release you know to go into the garden and forget about everything else and just focus on you know sustainability and and relaxing well there you have it people if you ever want to de-stress and be a little bit more self-sustainable um starting a garden sounds like a great thing to do yeah um, I actually used to do that quite a bit growing up with my dad and stuff, and we would do that, but I haven't done it a long time in years and years, but I'd love to get back to that, actually. I find it fascinating. So, John, what is one way that myself or anyone listening or someone in the community can help you either personally or in your business? What's one way that someone can help? Yeah, I would say just have a conversation, you know, that's... Like, you know, we're BNI together, call it a one-on-one, a, a conversation. And that's really when, you, I mean, yeah. I love it because you just, I, I like to sit down without an agenda and just talk, you know, and usually I can ask some pretty decent questions that really get people talking and get people thinking. And that's from, you know, from there, once you really understand, you know, what moves people, what drives them, what they're passionate about, you know, whether it's again, financial advice or turning them on to a book or something that's changed my life, you know, really, yeah, just having a conversation, whether it's, even if you don't want to talk about insurance and investments, you just want to you know, talk about personal growth or how to get, you know, unstuck mentally. You know, I've, I've been there. I've, I've, you know, I've been through a lot of that yeah. and made it through and seen a lot of people that have done the same. And also a lot of people that got paralyzed by, you know, paralysis by analysis, they think too much and they don't act. So yeah, if I really to help me just, yeah, reach out on, you know, LinkedIn, email, phone, and just set up a phone conversation and we'll, uh, we'll chat. Well, nice. That's wonderful. And, uh, well, John, real fast before we wrap up here, um, what's in your future politics wise? Are you going to run for office again? Are you going to be in, uh, you know, run in the future for something else? Um, tell me a little bit about that. I, I, I think I will. I just, I don't think it's going to be continuous throughout my life. Like I, it's, it's exhausting, right? And it's my business. I would never, never do something politically that would be full time. So that also limits me a little bit as well. You know, I know a lot of the positions are sort of part time. It's not like a, I mean, I, I can't take a lot of time away from my business, you know, so even like to be a state rep, I, I don't have time to be in Columbus three days a week. And it's, that's not really appealing either. You know, I might take a couple of years off and then do like a county commissioner. You know, I, I, 
because I, I like solving problems. And at the city level, it gets routine very quickly where, you know, the first three years I turned over every rock, looked over mm. every report, every contract, changed a lot of things, you know, operationally, internally, policies, procedures. Then it gets to the point where you're just talking about roads and sewers and vehicles, and it becomes very mundane. And then again, you're not solving, you're solving little problems, which still need to be solved, but I want to work on solving bigger problems. So, you know, I can see myself maybe running for county commissioner in a couple of years, you know, not exactly sure when, but I think I'll always be vocal in some sense, whether I'm in office or not. And just here and there, you know, maybe every, every five years I run for something, who knows? Wow. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. And John, best of luck in any future campaigns that you do decide to run. Um, but that being said, John, thank you so, so much for being here. It's really a pleasure. Uh, you're, an very, uh, you're a fascinating person. And it's, yeah, I, th- I think you have a lot of great advice to offer for anyone looking to start a business or looking to run for office. And once again, really, thank you so, so much. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Hope it helps. And uh, if you ever want to do this again, just let me know. Thank you, John. I would love to do that. I have about uh, 98 other people to get through as well. Um, But I will definitely, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a specials and kind of bring a bunch of people in together and just have you guys talk. But anyway, uh, once again, thank you very, very much for listening to another episode of 100 People to Know in Cleveland. Again, a huge thank you to everyone that's helped, uh, especially right now, Julia and... um, her, the band Lunatic, thank you for your continued, for letting me use your music continuously uh, for this podcast. And guys, remember, if you want to learn more about Julia, please go back to the first episode and listen to her story. It's really fascinating and worth a listen. Um, once again, thank you so, so much to everyone. Thank you for listening to the end. And until next time, this is Elliot Stone.